0: Hey, good morning, church. Hey, a couple, couple words before we get started. Number one, careful hanging around any conovers this morning. We've got a few little bugs hanging on us. and um, So um, hug and shake hands and all at your own risk. So just to know that. I know there's a lot of stuff going around right now. Um, so so just, a, just a little forewarning, um, so that way you know that. Number two, if you see me acting a little weird up here, uh, weirder than normal, I put my shirt on this morning and I tweaked a muscle in my back. Oh man, I, I don't know what is, I know what's wrong with me, is I'm one year from 50, that's what's wrong with me. I never thought putting a shirt on would be so painful and um, obviously if I didn't put it on it would be painful for you so um, I guess I'll be the one that suffers this morning and I'll take one for the team here uh, which you're thankful for I'm sure Um, could you pray for me this afternoon at two I have um, I've got a service a funeral I'm doing It's not going to be an easy one, and I'm helping a family lay their 22-year-old daughter to rest, who took her own life this week, and um, it's going to be tough. So, um, if you would pray, that can we pray right now? Is that all right? It's um, it's a real need. So let's do that. Let's do that. Could we? God, we need you. Our world needs you. Um, Our community needs you. And this family of Ashley, Joseph needs you desperately. Whose uh, world has radically changed this week and they just ache. God, I pray that you would help me to be a good shepherd to them and to everyone who is um, at Reynolds Jockoff today. Help me to speak hope. Help me to be a good ambassador for Jesus. I pray that they would feel love. That they would be pointed in the right direction. And God, out of these ashes may come beauty. God, may you do something that only you can do. We just beg you to do that. Show up in a big way. Be the healer that we know you to be. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please remember them today if you would. Um, It's just going to be a real biggie for them if you would. Thank you. Well, we're going to do a little exercise this morning. Would you take your East Bay Weekly and um, on the back are your study notes. I hope everyone has one. If you don't... um, steal one from the person next to you or grab a piece of paper because we're going to do something together just for a moment, a little little exercise uh, together. I want you to answer this. I want you to answer this here. Um, This is going to prove how great Jesus Christ is. We've learned that Jesus is the center we've we've learned that jesus is above all we learned it last week that in the very first book of the bible in genesis that god introduced jesus as the hope of the world he's the one who would come through the woman to save us to rescue us he's the good news that everyone would be looking for. He's the one who the scriptures were talked about, who prophecy was about. And so we went through this in our, in our staff meeting a few weeks ago. Um, the primary understanding of Jesus Christ is he's the center. We want to do this little, little exercise together. So I want you to think about something. So on your East Bay Weekly I want you to answer this. You see on there it says, Jesus is my. Jesus is my. And I want you to think of three things. I want you to think of three things to fill in there. Just, He is my, and I'm not going to give you an answer right now. I want you to think of three personal things. He is my. Think of three things. Don't take too long because I, I do still have more message to preach beyond this. Jesus is my... I want three things. Fill them in. Put three things there. And then um, just a few weeks ago, our staff met, and we, we answered this question together. We just did some popcorn stuff back and forth, and we came up with a whole bunch of answers. And so here's what we're going to do when you get your three things down. You got your three things down yet? Okay. I heard one person does okay let's see if the rest of you 499 do okay 498 um, our staff went through a whole bunch of these and so we're gonna do something together I've never tried this before um, so you got your three things I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the answers from our staff and if our answer Connects with one of your three things. I want you to stand and stay standing. Okay? Is that all right? We do that? Can we do that? Okay, here we go. Jesus is my savior, rescuer. Oh, I knew we'd get you on that one. He's my shepherd. He's my lamb. He's my healer. He's my forgiver. He's my leader. He's my light. He's my God. He's my promise. He's my friend. He's my helper. My provider. He's my hope. He's my peace. He's my refuge. He's my mediator. He's my love. He's my creator. My life. My Redeemer. Well, we're still trying. We got a few more sitting here. He's my Lord. For some of you theologically intense people, my propitiation. You're wondering how do I spell that? It's P-R-O pitiation. <laughs> it means he's my satisfying atonement. He was the satisfying atonement for my sin. He's my comfort, my advocate, my judge, my sustainer, my joy. Can we just say, Jesus is my all. He's everything, isn't he? This is, this is Jesus is the center, folks. He's everything. Everything that we need. He's everything in life, and he's been that from the very beginning and all the way through Scripture, and he remains that now to us millennia later. He is the center. Now, you can have a seat. This is why we say, where would we be without him? Now, now, God not only intends Jesus to be the center of everything, He intends Jesus to be the center of our lives. And this is what we're talking about today. What does it mean for Jesus to be the center of our life? Now I'm going to give you a couple verses here to think about. One is a very familiar verse to many. It's um, Romans 8:28 through 29. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now here's the thing I want you to think about. What is his purpose? Here's his purpose in verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So here's what it is. Here's his purpose. God's purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son, that we look like Jesus. So if you think about it, everything that God brings into our lives is for our good. And the good is that we become conformed to his image, the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is his ultimate purpose. God sent Jesus... To the cross, to be our forgiver and leader and to change us to look like Jesus. He didn't die on the cross merely to make us church attenders. He wants us to look like Jesus. To look like Jesus to our spouse, to our kids, to our parents, to our co-workers, to our neighbors to our friends, to our community, to our church, to strangers. And then what hasn't changed down here on earth? Here's the good thing. God's going to change the rest of it when we get up to heaven. And here's a verse that proves it in 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him. So here's the cool thing, gang. So we won't be totally perfect down here. We still have some chinks in our armor, but when we see Jesus, everything will be made right and we're gonna be like him. Isn't that gonna be good? I know. We'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Jesus being the center is plainly seen in the passage we're going to work through today. So let's jump into it. Uh, grab your, your phone or your device or your copy of the scriptures. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to give you a, a verse while you're turning there to Philippians chapter 2. Some people think about, you know, so what do I need to change? How do I need to change myself? And we think about pressure on the outside, changing myself from the outside. Well, Philippians 2 is a little different because it actually focuses on God changing us from the inside. And a classic verse in the passage under study is Philippians 2 13. And here's what it says For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, so God works in us to want to and then to do it. So when, when people try to look like Jesus because of pressure on the outside, it's going to be short-lived. But God is at work on the inside, and instead of pressure on the outside, there's power on the inside, and and how does God work in you? Well, it is through a number of different things, and I'm going to tell you that there are variables that God puts in our life to help us grow, And, and it is through His Spirit, it is through His Word. It is through prayer, it is our link to him, it is through people that he puts into our lives, it is even through suffering that God molds us. There are so many things that God does to will and to act according to his good pleasure to look like him. So I'm going to give you in this passage two big theological reasons why Jesus is the center. So let's dig into it. Two main reasons why Jesus is the center, and then, man, I'm going to tell you, there are three primary applications right from the text that are going to blow us away. If Jesus is my center, how does it look? What does it look like? What's going to be different in you and me because Jesus is the center? So here we go. Let's jump right into it. Hopefully, you have your study guide there. Right front and center, I want you to look at verse 6. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, and here is a heavy passage, why Jesus Christ is the center. And here's reason number one, why Jesus is the center, and it is this, because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is 100% God. Jesus is as much God as God the Father is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. He is no less God than any other member of the triunity. And here's the text, a text that shows us this plainly. Verse 6. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I want to move through this here. There is some technical wording, very intentional wording from the writer, from Paul. And here's what he says. Who being... And the word gives reference to Christ's existence. He exists, and then the wording is in very nature. Now, I I memorized this as a kiddo, and the wording talks about in form, in his form. And today we think of a form kind of as a shell, kind of as an outer coating that there can be a, um, a form, sometimes a drawing around something, a form, a mold into which you pour something. Well, the text here isn't talking about a shell or just an outer coating. It's really talking about a complete existence, a nature, an essence of something. And so here it mentions Jesus Is in his being the very essence of God Jesus is God and then it mentions right on the heels of that that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage I I don't want you to be confused It doesn't mean that he's not equal with God, it means he is equal with God, but he did not use that in a way that he demanded rights to himself. In fact, this is even more and more proof that Jesus is in his being completely God and equal With God. John 1 1 and 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, some of you may be wondering, Brian, why are you pushing this so hard? I just want you to know. We live in a day where even churches, and religions try to strip Jesus of his deity. And even from the time of the Pharisees, men have tried to make Christ a mere man. Some people today say he was a good prophet, or a good teacher, or a very good man. There are certain groups that say he is not God. Or maybe he was a God, along with many other gods. But I just want to be very plain this morning. I don't want there to be any confusion about this. From the Bible, from God's Word, Jesus Christ is God. He's completely God. He exists equal with the Godhead. He is full deity. He possesses all the attributes of the Godhead 100%. That's one reason why he's a center. Here's number two. Understanding that, number two, Jesus gave. This is what your blank is. He gave everything. He gave everything. Now I'm going to give you a number of things that the text mentions. And even when I do, folks, we will have no full comprehension of what Jesus truly gave up. So number one, He gave up self-promotion and recognition for his rightful position. And and it just says it plainly. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Uh, He didn't go around strutting and saying, hey, do you know who I am? Now, I was trying to find um, some way to illustrate this. And and so... um, I don't know, have you ever seen the show Undercover Boss? I I don't know if you've ever seen that. So I started to look up episodes of Undercover Boss. You know, the person who owns the company. And instead of coming in and lording it over everyone, they actually go undercover like a regular employee. And and they go in and, and they are actually just like everyone else. But they're actually spying on everyone to see how well they're doing their job. And then at the end, they give out special things to employees that did a really good job. Well, as I was looking at that, I found a video of one kid who worked at a Taco Bell in the drive-thru. And his dad owned the Taco Bell. And so because his dad owned the Taco Bell, he really felt he could do whatever he wanted. So people were coming through, and he was was being a jerk. He was just being mean to people. And this one one couple came around, and they decided they were going to videotape the whole thing. So they had their phone up, and they were videotaping this kid's attitude. And this kid just came right out, and he said, Oh, yeah? Well, I can do whatever I want. You know why? Why? My dad owns a place, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, they videotaped the whole thing, and they gave the videotape to dad. And the cool thing was, so I got to watch it a little bit later, it mentioned update. This kid found out his dad not only owns a place, but he can fire his son. You know, some people cop an attitude. Like, hey, don't you know who I am? Hey, I've got rights around here. Now just imagine, folks, Jesus is God. Imagine what it's like for God in heaven. Imagine the recognition that he had in heaven. Imagine the worship that he had in heaven. And then he came down here. And he never strutted it around. He never made demands. He never demanded recognition or favors. He didn't demand special treatment. He was not firm on self-promotion. But he gave of himself. And he had a loose hold of his rights. This is where the the infamous verse 7 comes in. It's actually the keynote wording to some in theological circles, the kenosis passage. It says, rather he made himself nothing. 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 And here's what that nothing looked like, and it's number two. He was the epitome of a serving man. Now, just think about it. Here's God. Here's the recognized one. Here's the one everyone worshiped. Imagine in heaven, wherever he went, people, whoop, right on the ground, worshiped him. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone loved him, recognized him, worshiped him, adored him. And then he comes down here and Jesus ends up doing things that we would struggle doing. He washed people's feet. And I'm not talking cute baby feet. I'm talking dirty adult sandal feet of men. He cared for lepers whose skin was falling off. He took in cripples and blind people that everyone else was doing away with, and he cared for them, and he he put mud and spit and put it on their eyes and, and healed them. He helped the sick, he came to the aid of an adulterous woman. He gave stability to the insane or even the demon-possessed. And just think about this. This is the king, the creator of the universe, Jesus. He was just not full of himself. But rather, he stripped himself of the insignia of majesty, and he... He was a serving man. He was a servant. And then the third thing, he was completely human with all of our limitations. Now, just I know that this doesn't resonate because we're used to our limitations. We're used to it all. And and when you think about our limitations, um, some of them are even... Cute when we think of a baby. You know, how cute to be able to hold a baby or a nursing baby. But think about God in heaven, limitless. He didn't come to earth as an adult. He came to earth, we just remembered this at Christmas, He came to earth as as a baby, as a nursing infant. One theologian calls him deity in diapers. That's God. You realize God before Christmas never had a bodily function at all? He was never hungry, never thirsty, never sleepy, Never hurt. Didn't have a sore back when he put his shirt on. There was no limitation in any way. And he took on all of this, he embraced it. And Colossians 2 9 just pulls it all together says for in him in christ dwells all the fullness of the godhead bodily john 1 14 the word jesus became flesh think about it he dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, that's Jesus. And here's the fourth thing to think about that the text mentions. He willingly embraced torture and death for us. This is what Jesus did. Verse 8, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, Became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this was a willing action of of himself. And before this, everything obeyed Jesus. Even think about it, that's how the world was formed. He even spoke to the waves, and they obeyed him. He spoke to Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth out of the grave. The demons came out of the maniac in the cemetery, And then you think about this Jesus whom everything obeyed and he says, you know what, I'm going to obey the will of the Father and I'm just, I'm going to give myself up. And obey the plan of the Godhead to die for our sin. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He willingly embraced torture and death for us. This is why Jesus is the center, folks, because he's God, because he humbled himself and gave all of this up for us. And then God says, you know what? That is why you, Jesus, have the center place. God gave Jesus the center place. And so look at it, verses 9, 10, and 11. God gave Jesus the center position, verse 9, God gave him the highest place. There's no one above you, Jesus. No one above you. No one is higher. He gave him the center recognition, verse 9. You have the name that is above every name. Is there anyone greater, folks? There's no one higher. There's no name that is greater. There's no one recognized globally more than Jesus Christ. And he's the center of worship eternally. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He will be worshiped forever and ever and ever. Unbelievers will not have a choice. Everyone will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the center of everything. And we could end the lesson here. No amens, please. We know he's the center. But here's my question. What does it mean for him to be my center? That's what we're going to answer. What does it mean... If he's the center of my life. Now, we just went through New Year's resolutions. And I don't want to take over your New Year's resolution. If you have a really good one, great. Put this one to it. Jesus needs to be my center. And I want to show you three commands from the text based upon this, that set up, how Jesus can be our center. Based upon what we understand from here, there are three primary participles. There are three action items, on the, one on the front side of this and two on the back side of it that discuss how we can show Jesus is the center. So here, here they are. What does it look like if Jesus is the center of my life? Here they are. Number one. Oh, this is good. You sitting down for this one? This one's really good. Look at verse 3. Here's what's leading up to this theological treatise. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking... To your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he goes right into it. This is connected. And so here's the very first. If Jesus is our center, here's what it looks like. Number one, I am third. I'm third. You might be wondering what what do you mean by that Brian? What do you mean by I'm third? Well, here's what it is. First is God. First is Jesus. Second is guess who? Others. And then guess who? Us. I learned this song as a kid. Some of you might be thinking of it in your head right now. Jesus and others and you. It's an acrostic. It says, What a wonderful way to spell joy. Any of you memorize that song when you were a kid? Okay, we got a few. Yes, I see that hand. You can put that down now. We're third. Some people say I'm second. Actually, if Jesus is our center, we're third. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interest of others. Don't be thinking big about us the text says. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't come in and say, do you know who I am? Do you know what position I've got? Do you realize how long I've been a Christian? Or do you know my position at church? Reminds me of um, former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis. He was a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. He actually tells a story of his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Here's his story. He says, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago. He says, I stopped in front of the Sears Tower He says, I felt big. I felt bold. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the mighty Sears Tower. He said, and I said to myself, I am going to conquer this city. He goes, and I looked down and my suitcases were gone. (laughs) Don't think highly of ourselves. If Jesus, who is God, who there's no one greater, thought of everyone else. To have Jesus as my center, he says, think jesus then others then you when jesus is at the center i value others before me it's what jesus did this shouldn't be a surprise because jesus said if anyone will come after me he must first deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me not a big surprise And when it comes to our ministry, when it comes to our lives, what a tremendous, compelling trait to say, you know what? It's others. It's others. It's others. I love Jesus. I love others. I'm not as concerned about me. That's when Jesus is the center. That's when it looks like this. Here's number two. This is connected right to it because when we get through the theological treatise, notice the connective verb um, or the connective word in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence. Then he says this phrase that has baffled some people. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I just want to make it plain. He says continue to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. You do see the difference there. He's not saying try to put forth effort to be saved. He's saying what is in you, work it out in your life. Because it's God who works in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so here's what it is. Live inside out. Live inside out. If Jesus is my center, not only am I third, but man, do I want people to see I have a life dedicated in obedience to him like God I'm not living for me. I don't call my shots. Jesus, you call the shots for me. I'm not my own boss. You are my forgiver. You are my leader. You run my life. And so here we are. We live inside out. We work out our salvation. God who works in us It is seen on the outside. It should be no surprise because God says, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Jesus is the center of my life. I'm third. I'm third. I live inside out. Here's the last one. This is the tough one. Everyone's toes out. I'm just about to stomp all over them and I've stepped all on mine. You ready? Verse 14. You probably saw it coming. You're probably saying, oh, please don't go there, Brian. I'm going there. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Here's the third commanding participle. It's a toughie. Ban. Complaining. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Man, I would be a lot better with this verse if it said Do most things. Or do some things. But here here, here Paul says, do everything? Like, really? Then I got thinking about it. Okay, so here's Jesus who came from heaven. Now think about what were his accommodations like in heaven. Okay? Okay. What was worship and music like in heaven? What was life like in heaven? How were relationships like in heaven? And then he comes down here. And what was life like down here? What were relationships like down here? What were his accommodations like down here? What was worship and music like down here? And I would like for you to find one verse in all of Scripture where Jesus complained. Now, if anyone had a right to complain, huh? If anyone had a right to complain, it's Jesus. Never. And in fact, even when he went to the cross, folks, even when he died on the cross for our sin, the words are plain in 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23. It says, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Are you kidding me? No complaints, even when he was being tortured. There's no verse in Scripture where Jesus complained about anything. I'm here to tell you being like Christ isn't a natural thing, it's a supernatural thing. And that's why, verse 13, we need God to work in us. We need to be open to all he's doing. We need his spirit, his word, his people. We need everything he has to help conform us to the image of his son. Because, folks, we need Christ as our center amen jesus needs to be my center would you say it jesus needs to be my he needs to be my center that's our destiny That's our destiny and there's three ways we can do it with his help i'm third Live inside out, obey. Ban complaining. Ban it. God, would you help us? We can't do it. This is a supernatural thing. We need your spirit to work on the inside. God, we need you. We even need each other. God, you've put us in each other's lives to spur each other on toward love and doing what's right. And God, would you put it in our hearts and each other's hearts to live as Jesus is the center of our lives. Would you stand with me for a moment with your eyes closed? I just want you to think about it and do business with God and even pray in your heart right now. Is Jesus truly the center? And it starts with believing that he died on the cross for you. He is God, and he gave his life on the cross to bear the penalty that we deserve for our sin. That's where it starts. And then it continues with looking like him. And today, those three areas... Do some fit with you? I'm third, live inside out, ban complaining. Do some fit with you? And if so, would you take a moment and talk to God personally? God, this is me. Does he need to be your center more in those areas? Would you talk to him? I'm gonna give you a moment of silence. Talk to God right now. Relay these things, make them a resolution in your heart. This is where you need to be. Talk to him, would you? God, I pray this has been more than a church service, but this has been an alignment opportunity for us to become more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. May we walk out of here with you working in our lives to will and to act according to your good pleasure with Jesus as the center. Remove us from the center. We don't belong there. And all of you space center.